Hello, welcome to the ninth episode of the Real Film Podcast. Uh, my name's Phil. And I'm Corey. And today we're going to be talking about the best performances of 2020. So if you haven't listened to it already, we have another podcast of what we think the best films of 2020 are. We also have written that list and that's now up on the website if you're going to check out. Uh, but today we're talking specifically about uh, performances. This is, we're, we're sort of mixing um a bit of supporting a bit of sort of lead performances we're not worrying about gender or anything like that these are just what we think the best 10 of the year of 2020 are so i think we should just jump straight into it because there's one that we're going to break the rules on the first one already because we're including two performances in one (laughs) which is uh the two leads from never really sometimes always um sydney flanagan and talia Ryder. now i think we both have the same thing of never really sometimes always being one of the best of last year uh not least because of you know how it was written and the subjects that it dealt with and everything like that but the two leads absolutely carry the film on their backs completely it would i think it would be less effective if they weren't so convincing in their roles um and everything they need to do because a lot of what they have to do is so subtle um and i just think they're able to do that with ease um now, how do you feel about those two being our number one on the list straight away? Well, I mean, I think the reason I uh, initially said these two together is because I know it feels a little bit like we're cheating, but I, I think they're both individually telling a story that's really important. And then also it's it's a film about finding that support in your life, that kind of sisterhood. And I think Sydney Flanagan, while she has, you know, her story is the main story, I guess, I think Talia Ryder's just so important to Sydney Flanagan's character as well. So I think uh, they both do what they're meant to do perfectly. And, you know, rather than compare the two, I like to think that it's just better to put them together because, you know, in a tale about sisterhood and young girls having to stick together because no one else is willing to help them, I think the two characters are um, perfect at showing this. And I think, you know, I think, like you said, it's really subtle in both. Uh, you know, Sydney Flanagan with not really wanting to show her problems. I think it's a very teenage thing to do. It's very bottled up. And Talia Ryder is there in support, but she's obviously struggling with, you know, just horrible, horrible men throughout, basically. I think it, two very important stories, but uh, they're both together through both, I think. And it's really important, I think. So that's why they're both of them. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think, as you say, I think it's unfair to compare them because they rely so much on each other. You know, I say say that they carry the film and they make it that bit better. But if one was better than the other, I feel like you would feel the disconnect between the two. You need them to work in harmony together for it to be, you know, successful. Yeah, definitely. I think often the best supporting actor performances that we usually think of uh, throughout history, it's usually because they steal the show. Whereas, you know, Talia Ryder's performance is not about stealing the show. It's about supporting Sydney Flanagan's performance. And I think they're both very important to each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I think that was pretty clear cut. You know, I think the best thing we can say is just go watch that film and you'll see what we're talking about. Um, I think the next one I'd like to include on the list as well is uh, Mads Mikkelsen in Another Round. He plays Martin. He's the main character. Um, a uh, very, very different film from Never Really, Sometimes Always. It's um, 
a lot more fun, uh, a lot more lighthearted, but uh, in the way that Mads is just an unbelievable, unbelievable actor, he just he just brings this um, brings this depth to the character that I think lesser actors wouldn't be able to do. The bit there's a bit early on where I felt I was like, yeah, this is definitely one of Mads's best performances um, of this decade, in my opinion, because there's the bit where really early on they're sat having the dinner and he sort of has that realization of you know his life going nowhere it's a bit dead end and he's just not as happy and as exciting as he used to be and he starts crying but his like he he's got tears coming down his face but his face isn't like telling that he's trying to hold it together and then his friends will notice and you know he's trying to hold it together and he's like his the emotion on his face is so different from him from what he's feeling on the inside, but he's also crying at the same time. It's just so complex and it's so deep. And I mean, there's many, many moments in it, but that was one moment where I was like, I think you even said it after we watched it about how he's one of the best cries in the business. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've spoken about this before with uh, shoplifters with Sakura Andu, Ando, sorry. Um, and how it's not that they're just crying. It's that, it, it just comes gushing out like they visibly don't want it to happen and it's just a constant wiping away wiping away wiping away and i just it i know it seems like oh you know good actors they can cry but i think that's just a really deep way to show it and i and you know it's not the only time that mads does it in the film i think he's just he's such a fantastic actor anyway um but yeah, I would agree. I mean, that and Hunt, the other Thomas Vinterberg yeah. film, I think both just such stunning performances. And like, I know another round didn't quite make it into our best films of last year, but this one definitely deserves to be a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it wasn't far off. Let's be honest. If you listen to the podcast, you can hear us talking about how how great it really is. Um, so why don't I sort of pass it over to you for uh, Amanda Seafried from Mank? Again, I think this is someone we both really wanted on this list. Uh, we'll talk about some of the you know potentials later on, but these three we had already near enough agreed on. Um, yeah, she's got um, she hasn't got a whole lot of screen time, but I think she near enough steals the show, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, to me, this is the this is the performance that I feel very strongly about. It's. I mean, of course, I feel strongly about all of them. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made the list. But um, <laughs> no, this one in particular, I think Mank, while great, uh, suffers a little bit because it it gets locked into this like 1930s charm, which is very zippy and things like that. And it's great. Um, but what Amanda Seyfried does in her limited um, screen time is that she brings a bit of humility to it, you know? Her character is... She's... She's one of the only real conflicts for Mank while making this uh, screenplay is the fact that he's, you know, he's got a good relationship with her and the way he would be painting her isn't great. But Amanda Seyfried is so delightful. She can match anyone for charm in the movie. And I think, but it's that fragility that she brings that makes Mank actually a better film. So that's why I picked her out over Gary Oldman, I guess, if you were doing mm. it by film, uh, just because I think... While Gary Oldman is great, I just think Amanda Seyfried kind of elevates the movie even higher. And I know that's pretty shocking for a supporting uh, actress to do, but I think she's just outstanding. And I don't, and I think it's a lot more subtle than people give it credit for, and that's why I picked her because it it's just outstanding to me. Yeah, I totally agree, and I I I really agree with the last point about the subtlety because although I think 
um, Gary Oldman is a, is really really great as Mank in the film. I don't think there's really any subtlety to his performance at all, um, and I do think that's quite intended because Mank does is not a subtle person. He's very very yeah. blunt with everything, and I don't I don't mean that as like a slight to um, Gary Oldman for his performance because it's great. But I feel like um, Amanda Seyfried has to be a little bit more subtle and a little bit more sort of um, uh, she has to balance a lot more things. I think than he does because I think throughout Gary Oldman always has this same sort of face on. He's always this snippy, uh, like snippy witty. He's always got these great comebacks and stuff like that. But I don't know. I feel like, I feel like she's got a little bit more to balance on her plate. And I think because she doesn't have like, for me, my only, my only thing I was worried about when I, when we were making sort of this provisional list was whether or not she has had enough screen time. But when I came out of the film, I was thinking about her performance more than Gary Oldman's. Yeah. For me, that that says that she has been on screen enough to warrant it completely. Yeah. But yeah, I totally agree. I think I think that I think uh, these first three, I think, were really 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 easy selections Definitely. for us. Have you got any others that um, you feel like need to be included? The one I would say as well. I know this is a movie I've been harping on about for a long time. Is the assistant. Um, Julie Garner's performance in The Assistant, for me, has to be there. I think, you know, we've spoken a lot about uh, performances this year that have they've got a lot of weight on their shoulders. We talk about uh, Never Really, Sometimes Always, these two girls, they're, um, they're channeling an experience of a lot of people uh, that a lot of people have. And The Assistant is the, exactly the same, obviously. A movie about the Me Too uh, movement, it's a film that channels and... Uh, brings together different experiences of people that have suffered from this and, you know, puts it all into one character. And uh, Julia Garner's like, she's pitch perfect in this movie. She, you know, it's all that buildup of, there's such a lot, there's just so much buildup of, uh, you know, office tension and almost this emptiness that she feels, this weariness from being constantly abused in the office while getting real no, like, no thanks from working early early hours of the morning to very late at night she's getting no thanks and then it all you know culminates to this one scene with a hr rep which is just one again we'll do a podcast about the best scenes of the year of 2020 um but this scene just purely on performance as well is gorgeous it's just everything comes flooding out that fear that you can't say anything and then in this place where she feels like she can say something and then for it to kind of get turned around on her. She just has so much on her shoulders and she is perfect, literally inch perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I unfortunately haven't seen it yet, but um, uh, I've heard you gush about this film many times, so I'm more than happy to put it on the list uh, without me even seeing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another one that's uh, pretty bittersweet, really, is obviously Chadwick Boseman, his last performance in uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And, uh, you know, this isn't, you know, I'm not just saying this just because, you know, often when, you know, great talents die, people fixate on, you know, the last performance as being their best. But this genuinely is Chadwick Boseman's best performance. Um, I think with most people, you know, being getting quite used to seeing him in, as Black Panther and uh, I know he's done a couple of action films, but he's he's had two great films this year, The Five Bloods and um, Marin's Black Bottom. But I think Marin's Black Bottom, he's very important and it's a movie that's based on a stage play so as you can imagine it's very dialogue heavy it demands 
multiple like emotional turns just in one scene and he's just he's amazing in it and uh it's you know it's with a heavy heart that you you say that he's absolutely fantastic because it's such a shame we won't get to see it again but for me that was another performance that stood out this year he's he was just immaculate and you know viola davis is great in it uh she's slightly i think i said in the review she's slightly more caricature of uh who she's playing but chadwick boseman just he's got so many great monologues that he just nails and it's just uh, it just kind of like shakes you to your core a little bit and it's yeah he's fantastic in it i would personally like to put it on the list that's fine i'm more than happy for that to go on so at the moment we've got five um i think we should probably start talking about i think the rest of there's that we have quite a lot of other performances we can put on here i don't know if if many of these are like set so let's start chucking out let's start chucking out some um just potentials so one i'd like to throw in there i it's, I'm more than happy for it not to go on the list. I just wanted to give it, bring um, uh, a little bit of attention to it. Is I believe his name is Sope Darius, or yeah. Sope Darius, uh, in his house. Um, have you seen his house yet? I haven't. No, I, I actually recently added it to my list on Netflix after you gave it such a glowing review. Um, yeah, I've really, really loved it. It's it's a really great film. It's not perfect. Um, the second half is really really outstanding filmmaking it the way it sort of blends between scenes between like sort of reality and dream sequence and um flashback is really really well done um he pretty much has to carry most of the film i said this a few times already but he pretty much has to carry his film on the shoulders he's he's got a wife in it who is also really really great but so many of the scenes are um about the sort of I don't want to say visions, but the things he's seeing and the things that are happening around him and the way he's trying to pretend they're not real, but also trying to sort of deal with this inner struggle of what's happened in the past that's brought all of this on, I think is really, really great. Um, I think he has a lot, they have a lot to sort of talk about in this film because it's a horror film, but it's sort of about the way that um, refugees are treated in this country um, and the way that they're trying to fit in but people won't let them fit in there's a, there's a lot going on um and it's quite a quite a tight runtime um i just wanted to bring a bit of attention to it i thought he was really really great in it uh, i don't think he's been getting the attention uh, he deserved for how great his performance really really was um is there anything else is there any others like that you'd like to bring up that you know don't necessarily have to be on the list but you still think are really great um yeah, I actually now just realised there is one that I think should be on the list. But then again, you know, it's all up for debate. Uh, speaking of someone who there is basically, you know, carrying the entire film, really, the film lives and dies is uh, Riz Ahmed in Sound of Metal. And I know yeah. we uh, watched Mogul Mowgli at the BFI um, Film Festival. Uh, and he's just as good in Mogul Mowgli. I'd say that Sound of Metal just edges it for me because the way in which the film's made is that you know very often we're put in his shoes of you know all the sound kind of being taken away from us and the way Riz Ahmed is able to sort of react and basically guide us through his own journey while he's still trying to discover it himself is is really important and he's such a fantastic actor I think he's proved it this like last year with the two performances he gave, um, he's just got such dedication to his roles. Uh, Unbelievable, really. And, you know, Sound of Metal is a really good film, but Riz Ahmed really stands out in that. So that's that's another one I would potentially uh, say really deserves to be there as well. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think I've put that on the list. I haven't actually seen Sunder Metal, unfortunately, but um, I know how good Riz Ahmed can be. I'm more than happy for him to go on the list as well. I think, I think, uh, I think 2020 was sort of his year of not necessarily the year, of, you know, of coming out and showing everyone how great he was, because I, I think a lot of people have known that. But I think it's his year of showing the industry how good he is. Yeah, definitely. I think he got a lot of recognition for everything, and I, you know, I think he's got a really strong career ahead of him. Or I hope he has at least. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, I'm just going to throw one in there. Uh, it's a supporting performance in, well, I guess it's a source. I don't know, it's a confusing one. Christopher Abbott and Possessor. Now, yeah. I know Possessor was my number one pick for the best film of 2020. Uh, I know it's up there for you too. And is Christopher Abbott supporting? It's kind of hard because, um, but you sort of have both Christopher Abbott and Andrea Riseborough. They both sort of um, inhabit the same sort of um character throughout because obviously it's uh Riseborough as Foss sort of taking over Abbott as Colin Tate which is is a little bit confusing um because I think I'm I'm almost certain that um Abbott probably has more screen time and I think I think Andrew Riseborough is amazing in it too but I think he has a more difficult job because he's the one who has to pretend that he's being taken over by someone else. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. she has a lot of um, emotional and uh, mental distress that she has to deal with. Um, but there is more time where he is inhabited by her and has to portray that as well as portraying Colin trying to fight back and everything like that. I just, there's a lot going on for him. And I think it would be less effective if he wasn't so good in it. Um, I don't know how you feel about putting him on the list, but I think I think he I I hadn't seen a whole lot by him uh, by um, Christopher Abbott beforehand. Yeah, you know, I had seen him before, but it, I hadn't often like been really taken by him. I hadn't like you know gone wow this guy's really you know hot shit. But I th- <laughs> I really thought coming out the other end of of this, I thought wow that guy was really fucking good. Do you often? watch people and say wow they're hot shit <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a phrase people use they're hot shit you know yeah hot shit oh my god yeah. no he he uh he's on my <laughs> list as well um mm. and like you said you know it's uh, what he's doing is far more complex and it's not just as simple as him imitating someone it's about him being being the character he's meant to be playing while also being inhabited and struggling with this so he's almost playing two people at the same time but it's all done psychologically and it's a very, very difficult thing to do. And he, he's fantastic in it. Uh, and you're right. Andrea Risenborough is great. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you would class her as the lead character, I guess. Like if it came down to like an Oscar thing, you, you kind of get the weird feeling that the Oscars would put Christopher Abbott as like a supporting actor when he's really mm. one of the main characters in the film. Um, but yeah, I think he definitely deserves to be on the list. He's on he's on my list, mm. so I think yeah, he's absolutely. A... I've stuck I've stuck him on there. I think it probably just comes down to how you narratively see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So Andrea Rasborough's character is um she is the main character of the narrative because she's inhabiting someone else. But when you're talking about like practicality, yeah, uh, Christopher Abbott spends more time on screen, so I imagine the Oscars probably take a more of a um, uh, more of a narrative uh, yeah. sort of view of it. I don't know. I well, don't I mean, know. I guess if you think like Science of the Lambs, 
You mm. know, Hannibal Lecter is on screen for what sixteen minutes, if that. Something and, like that. And yeah. he get, you know, he won, and obviously Anthony Hopkins won lead actor. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's well, we're saying this like Possessor is going to be nominated. Chances are, it's not their kind of film, but it'd be nice to see. But yeah, regardless, yeah. it's still a fantastic performance that should be on the list. Uh, another one that um, I feel pretty strongly about. I think it's uh, the best thing to take away from the film was Kate Winslet in Ammonite. Uh, and I know Ammonite got a lot of uh, coverage um, and people were talking a lot about it. Um, and it is a good film. Um, but Kate Winslet is the best thing to take from that film. I think a lot of what she's doing, a lot of the emotion that she's sort of holding with her is... It's all kind of like inner anguish. It's she's fighting something. She's fighting a lot of inner demons, and uh, the way she portrays it with this like stone cold face to then be really really fragile in an instant is really important. And well, Ammonite's you know great. It's a it's a very nice story. It's shot in this very like bleak uh, style, which suits the uh, sort of countryside countryside of England. Um, uh, and I also think Saoirse Ronan's really good in it. But I think. It, the movie lives and dies with Kate Winslet. Um, mm. So I, I think she's really important to the film. Uh, and it, it kind of creeps up on you just how important she is. Like she, while you do appreciate the emotional scene she has, you just realize that this, the film's story is just, it's being guided through her emotion. And I, I think that's really important for a performance uh, to realize how great that is. Uh, so that for me, she would, she makes my list. Yeah, I'm happy to go with that too. Unfortunately, I haven't seen Ammonite either. There's a couple of films I haven't seen on here either. But when you give it a strong enough sort of recommendation, you can't help but put it on there, you know? I think, um, you know, in reality, obviously, we'd want to watch all the films in one year that we can. But uh, (laughs) I think we trust each other enough to go off each other's recommendations a little bit, don't we? Uh, I mean, I yeah, I guess I have to with you. Don't I? Yeah, you have to. No, there's no one <laughs> I else. I have to trust you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, no, I do. Right. So I think the next one that I'm just gonna throw out there. Uh, I'm not 100 sure you're gonna agree with me, like with this, but I really, really want to put Sean Parks on for his performance in Mangrove. Um, you know, Mangrove was the first of the small act series that we've seen. And, you know, I know that you and I both love the films we've seen from it so far. We've seen uh, Mangrove and Lover's Rock and then Red, White and Blue, which also has a really good performance from John Baega, probably a career best performance from John Baega. Um, not not quite as good good enough to make this list, though, I don't think. But um, I think Sean Parks is incredible in Mangrove. There's lots of really, really good people in Mangrove. Um yeah, like Letitia Wright, she's fantastic in it. I I even said in the review about how you know she nearly steals every scene she's in. But um, I think I think Sean Parks has so much to do in this film um, because he's got this anguish throughout of like wanting to sort of play by the rules and wanting to sort of almost fit in and. He, he's trying to, you know, help his community and uh, make everything better for them, you know, but especially like he he gets the, um, uh, I can't remember if he's a lawyer or something like that, but to, to advise the young black kids in his community what to do if the police stop you. And the kids basically just come fighting back and they're like, they shouldn't be stopping us anyway. They are only stopping us for the colour of our skin. And there's this constant sort of divide throughout where he wants to sort of, you know abide by the law and let let the police do you know what what they believe necessary but in reality it's not 
what they should be doing. They're completely mistreating this community and they're being completely discriminatory in everything they're doing. And it kind of finally comes to this head in the middle of the film when you have that protest scene, when, it, when finally everything is, is it's actually, the, I think the turning point for him is when his restaurant gets raided for no reason. And you just have this beautiful balance of that kind of horrific stuff going on. And then these moments throughout, like I always come back to, um, the the street party scene where everyone comes pouring out of the restaurant and there's music playing and everyone's dancing and singing everything like that it's just so joyous and full of life and you have this juxtaposition of these horrible thing things that you know the police are doing um and then you have that shot towards the end where you know the verdict is given on whether they're guilty or not guilty and it's this long tracking shot on him as he's sort of holding this railing and you can see the realization of what's going on and it goes from what he thinks is going to happen to you know just like this it's almost like a minor emotional outburst when he starts crying and it's just i think he's just absolutely stunning in it and he's there's a many many things i really really love about that film but i think he's a really big standout performance in it yeah uh, i do agree he he didn't actually make my list but uh i i'm with you 100% like I think actually, you know, it it must be quite difficult to be an actor in a Stephen McQueen film because, <laughs> you know, he very often finds these long takes that are so demanding of, uh, you know, you think back all the way to like Hunger with that, mm. you know, 16 minute one shot conversation with uh, Michael Fassbender and then, you know, other parts in in like all of his other films. But that's a particular scene. And I think the reason it didn't stand out to me initially was just because, yeah, the Small Act series is all about community. And I always kind of, it's the same with Love's Rock, where, uh, you know, it's very much about lots of people uh, find coming together. And Mangrove is similar in that, but you're right, he does have, I think, out of everyone, he has the most to chew on. And I think it says a lot about Steve McQueen as well, that he can make a film about community, about uh, lots of people fighting something together and then still find a personal conflict within it. So yeah, I yeah, think um, I do agree with you. Um, I think it's uh, I think at first I kind of just didn't didn't really see it, but I think after when the more you think about it, the more he starts to stand out. I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I'm happy for him to be there. Um, although I didn't initially put him on my list, I think he, you know, I think he does deserve to be there. So we've got one more spot to fill in on this list and then we'll sort of recap it all. So what's the final one we're going to have on here before we just go out and just mention a couple of the other great performances of the year? Uh, I think when it comes down to it, uh, uh, I'm a bit torn, really. But I think purely on the basis that it it's a far more important performance than I think people are giving it credit for, I think actually I'd go with Kelly O'Sullivan. St. Francis. Uh, I think also it has something to do with the fact that, you know, we both agree that this is a fantastic performance. Um, Whereas other ones, you know, they might uh, sway just towards me thinking that. Uh, But, you know, you can brush Kelly O'Sullivan's performance off as she's very, uh, I don't know how to describe it, I guess. I think she's very, you know, fun loving. She's She's got a great personality throughout the film. Uh, But it's also when the drama starts to find her and those emotional scenes take a hold of her. Uh, I think she doesn't get enough credit for how well she deals with them because she's dealing with a lot there, you know, 
the personal mm-hmm. conflicts that her characters have, obviously she's written the character, it's her screenplay. I think it benefits from the fact that she's speaking her own words and she really believes it. And it's a fantastic performance, especially in that scene when, you know, she, you know, shouts like, oh my God, I'm an agnostic feminist. Why am I crying? Uh, it's a great scene. Um, but yeah, I think once, uh, I think she'll get a lot of props for just being uh, a presence in this film alone. But I think it's the emotional scenes for me that really sell the performance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think she's absolutely fantastic in this. And yeah, I was if you didn't mention it, I was going to mention that scene towards the end where the sort of the the what's going on, the subtleness that's going on between, you know, the two parents and her and everything when that all comes to a head, I think that's such a everything throughout is great, but I think that is a really great moment for everyone involved. And I think I I I do think this film has been getting attention, but not enough attention because I think it's doing, I think you spoke about this in the review about how it's talking about all these important issues, but really like effortlessly. It's, it's not necessarily subtle in what it's talking about because everything is just happening in front of you, but it's not making a big thing out of it. These are just normal things in the story. And I think it does it so brilliantly. And I think she, yeah, I think she is, the she she you couldn't imagine anyone else taking that performance she wrote this role for herself and i think that was the absolute correct thing to do yeah i think i just think she's fantastic isn't it i think it's a film that we both adore and uh she's she's just such a great personality and a fabulous actress uh, in this film and i think actually it's a film that's filled with a lot of great performances actually uh but obviously the film flows through her and she's she's fantastic in it yeah. So we've got our 10 then. Um, I'll just quickly run through them and then we'll just have a little section of um, some honourable mentions, shall we? So we started off with Sydney Flanagan and Talia Ryder for Never Rally, Sometimes, Always. We also have Mads Mikkelsen for Another Round, Amanda Seafried for Mank, Julia Garner for The Assistant, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, Christopher Abbott for Possessor, Kate Winslet for Ammonite, Sean Parks for Mangrove, and then Kelly O'Sullivan for St. Francis. Now, if I don't mind saying so, that's a pretty good list, you know? It is a I good think list. that's 10 really good performances. <laughs> In a year that has been quite strange with how the releases have worked, I think it's uh, allowed the more independent, smaller films to really, really shine. And I think there's quite a lot of films, especially on this list as well, that we might not have seen uh in time to make this we probably yeah definitely seen the bigger pr- productions and yeah i think there's a lot of stuff here that's that might have slipped through the cracks otherwise that's been really really great so uh is there any sort of uh performances you thought were really great that didn't quite make the list yeah there's two in particular that i think uh made it onto my list but obviously through discussion they've uh slowly made their way off one is carrie mulligan pretty uh a promising young woman not pretty woman sorry <laughs> um, <laughs> Pretty Woman is a great film. <laughs> yeah, um, Carrie Mulligan, obviously, is probably one of the best actresses working today. To be honest, uh, she's got such a good choice of films as well. She's had a really strong filmography, and uh, for a film that's that doesn't always do this well, I think it's balancing both a really, really heavy subject with a sort of I think the way I described it is, you know, that kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek sort of bubblegum smacking sort of uh, tone. It, it's mm. got a, It's a weird style for a film to pick, but 
Uh, Carrie Mulligan seems to just absolutely nail it the entire way through. Um, and we obviously know she can, she's got range because she's been doing it her entire career. Uh, I think by the end of that, with like Kelly O'Sullivan, Kate Winslet, uh, Carrie Mulligan, they were ones that there was kind of a toss-up between the three of them. I think uh, for me, I'd say the other two just edge it. Uh, another one, which was one that is a strange one, it's been going through my head quite a lot, is uh, Paula Beer in Undine, a film I watched at the London Film Festival. Although the film isn't as good as maybe its lead performance, there's something that Paula Beer does in it, which is just so transfixing. It's really odd. She's obviously... It's her ability to just commit to such a, I guess, because the film's based on uh, like a like a myth, like a, almost like a fairy tale, like a modern retelling. You know, in fairy tales where the love is almost like pure devotion, mm. um, it's sort of like uh, it can't just be like, oh, I like him. It's like, oh my god, I am in love. I will die for this person that's kind of what you get from fairy tales but in like yeah. a modern reconstruction of that Paula Bear's devotion kind of turns to this like unsettling obsession and the way that Paula Bear is like inhabiting this uh creature that she's supposed to portray but also doing it as a modern woman it's a really unique performance and it's a it's actually a performance when I first started making the list it's probably one of the ones that was like near the top I think it's just slowly come down a little bit because it just sticks with you but yeah uh I could talk about that performance quite a lot because it's a very complex and very intriguing performance uh and it is a shame that um you know if this list was a bit longer it'd 100% be on it but yeah that those two for me are definitely um two performances that were very close to being on the list Mm. Yeah, so I already mentioned one that I really liked, which was John Boyega in Red, White and Blue. Um, I think the film's really good. Um, I think his performance is really great. It's just not quite as great as everything else on this list. Um, but I think I'm hoping it's a little, maybe, maybe a turning point just to show that it, it, was for, it can show that he does have a lot more range than just being, you know, this sort of sidekick in star wars or you know he's good he's really great in attack block but i feel like he's shown in a number of films now that he does have a lot that he can do and he has a lot that he can offer and then i also think cosmo jarvis in come with horses um which is definitely not one of the best films of the year but i still really liked it um uh, i think he's really really great in it and he has a lot to do subtly um he's not he doesn't speak a lot his character isn't the most intelligent person in the world but he has a lot of emotion needs to convey through um through his actions and through you know what he's what what his face says and what his body movements are you know his body language is so important in this film um where he's sort of com conflicted between you know wanting to help this <laughs> wanting to work for and help this drug family and wanting to help his own family and his own son um i think he's really really good in it i'd never seen cosmo jarvis in anything else i don't think so i thought he was really good in it and then there's one other film that i just wanted to quickly mention one other performance which is a film I actually watched the other day called Uncorked, uh, which is a Netflix film. Uh, it's a pretty fun um, film. It's got, you know, a nice little um, emotional sort of section in the middle about, uh, it's about this uh, guy whose father owns a Memphis barbecue joint and, but he wants to become a master sommelier, uh, which is, you know, it's quite a fun little dynamic between them, but 
Marmadou Athi is the lead character. I think that's how you say his name. Um, and I hadn't really seen him in much else. The thing that I noticed him from was Brie Larson's directorial debut, um, Unicorn Store. He's the sort of love interest for her in that. Um, and I just thought he was really, really great in it. I, it's not, it's not, it was never going to be on the list, but I just think it was worth mentioning because it was sort of, I came out the other, at the other end thinking, if I see him in a film, you know, I'd be more inclined to watch it now because I think he was really, really great in this and I think he was really charismatic but managed to carry some of the more emotional scenes as well. I, don't, I think uh, I was just actually having a look while you were speaking. Um, I've seen him in Underwater, that sort of oh, yeah. uh, 2020 curses to it. Uh, it's not a great film. I don't. I think he plays quite a small character in it as well. But uh, I have seen him, and he he seems all right. Uh, one thing I was going to just go off what you were saying about Cosmo Jarvis is that I was really surprised actually, because obviously he's got the build of just this like big brute, but the um, the way in which he speaks and the way in which he handles himself, it, it's a really like it, it's just very unexpected. And it was a mm. it was one of the main takeaways from the film. Yeah, it's a nice little film that and. He is great. There was just one more. I feel like I, I should say this. Uh, should say this one just because she's fantastic as well. It was another BFI London Film Festival film called Herself, and it's mm. uh, Claire Dunn. She's the lead actress who plays a mother who kind of has been in an abusive relationship, and she basically wants to build her own house and create this new life for her and her children. But everything just seems to be, you know, going against her, and she's. Again, we've seen so many performances by women this year that are just carrying an entire film and carrying a weight that's just so heavy on their shoulders. And she's another example. She's just fantastic, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so why don't we sort of talk about what we think the Oscars might nominate for some of the the um, categories? Because this year's going to be quite an interesting one because they've bent the rules slightly. Normally, you'd have to have a, I think it's a week-long run or two-week-long run in LA theatres, a certain amount of theatres and a certain amount of showings to be able to be nominated for any category. Um, but obviously, this year's different. I think they, I can't remember exactly what it is. They're opening up to like film festivals and drive-in theatres and things like that, I think. I can't remember what okay. the exact rules are. Um I do think small acts won't, none of those will be eligible. I'm yeah, sure. I can't see which small is, acts being eligible. No, which is really, really upsetting, I think, because if they were eligible, I think Lovers Rock and Mangrove would be in with a shout. Yeah. You know, with some really big stuff. I think they're both incredible films. Outside of that, I think Mank is probably going to get a nominated. I think Amanda Seyfried and Gary Oldman are both going to get nominated. Yeah, I think there is a um, high chance of that, yeah. Um, I'm not sure on some of the other ones. I think something like Never Rarely, Sometimes Always might be a bit too... It's not really the kind of film that they like to nominate. Yeah, uh, there is a few that actually do jump out as Oscar films. I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is going to be a, uh, yep. a definite one. I think Chadwick Boseman is very likely to win. Uh, he is he is fantastic, but I know the Oscars do love a posthumous Oscar as well. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say that's the only reason he's going to win it because he, he's fantastic. He does deserve a win. Uh, I think Viola Davis for uh, My Rainey's Black Bottom is likely to get a nomination as well, isn't she? Um, yeah. I think Harry Kate Winslet for yeah, night? yeah, and I think Saoirse Ronan also could is in there. Uh, I think Carrie Mulligan for, for a promising young woman is a big one as well. 
Um, but other than that, you know, I think it, we haven't seen, I think because it's been such a strange year, you never know. I also think that uh, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods is still up for, you know, it's probably likely to get a few nominations. And I know a lot of people are talking about Delroy Lindo. Um, That's what I was about to say. Um... And he is fantastic in it. He's got a really, it, he's the character that's got the most sort of, he's very erratic and he's suffering a bit from, you know, he's never really recovered from the fact that he's come back from Vietnam and stuff. Um, and it, he's got a lot to work with in that film. And I think it's very likely that he will get a nomination. So hopefully, you know, we do see some surprises. I'd love Julia, Julia Garner to get a, a nomination, uh, either Talia Ryder or Sidney Flanagan. But, you know, uh, we'll see, I guess. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. So just before we end the show, we're just going to start a little segment just to sort of um, have a little bit of fun at the end of the show, especially with some of these uh, harder topics. It's nice to sort of lighten the mood and cleanse the palate before moving on. So we're going to start a sort of this or that where we're going to give each other three quick fire questions and you've got to quickly choose which one you prefer or you think is better. Um, and then, you know, a quick reason why you think that's so. I think we'll take it in turns and we'll go from there. Uh, would you like to start with me giving you my first one? Yeah, go for it. Hit me. Simpsons or Futurama? Uh, I think just based on the fact that I haven't actually watched that much Futurama, it's I'd pick Simpsons. Uh, from what I've seen, I like Futurama, but I've seen more yeah. of Simpsons, I guess. That's fair. Is that an acceptable answer or are you going to cry now? No, it's fine. I prefer Futurama personally. But yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's not the point. It's not the point, is it, to, say, yeah. to have a discussion about which one? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, go on. Uh, so, because we're talking about performances, which one do you prefer? Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood or Daniel Day-Lewis and Phantom Fred? Oh, uh, There Will Be Blood. Um, uh, I think I think if, if it was, I know you said prefer, but I always have to go with There Will Be Blood. I think that's probably the best performance he's ever had. Um, and he's the most evil person in that film, and he's that's one of the best villains of all time. I love him in Phantom Thread, but I don't think he's got he isn't of quite the same level of depth and enough to chew on as he does in There Will Be Blood. Yeah, he's just an evil bastard. Yeah, I thought I might try and catch you off guard early with that one. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Uh, so I've got another one for you. Uh, we're not talking about the films here, we're talking about the actual things themselves Alien or Predator? Uh, alien. Alien. Yeah, yeah. I I actually don't know the reason behind that answer. I just that <laughs> it was just that's the thing that comes to my head. I guess. Yeah, Alien. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna go with Alien. Okay, fair enough. Um, just gonna come back to uh, PTA. We've got another uh, PTA question. Mm. So, Boogie Nights or Magnolia? Oh. Uh... Uh, Magnolia, Magnolia. Nice. Uh, I I think I just prefer. I I really really like Boogie Nights, but I I can't watch it that most. It's quite icky. <laughs> you know I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I do get you. Um, I can't watch it quite as much. I've watched Magnolia more times. I think that's probably why I say. Okay, I've got the last one for you, Edward or Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Edward, because wow. Robert Pattinson over. Taylor Lorna yeah, every day of the week. That's fair. Yeah. And I'm pale. So. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to stick with the pale boys. 
you also have really, really glittery skin. Yeah, it is a problem. <laughs> See, no one drew attention to it until that movie came out as well. So it's quite <laughs> No one thought it was that weird until that. <laughs> All right, last one. Uh, okay, this is, again, I'm just trying to test you. In terms of filmography, mm. Spielberg or Scorsese? Ooh, um, oh, that's a hard one. I think probably Spielberg. Uh, I think quality-wise, it would probably be Scorsese, but I've I've rewatched Spielberg's films more often. Yeah, I'm just jumping into it. Yeah, yeah. If if it were pure quality, it would be Scorsese. But Spielberg, or I hear some of my favorite films of all time. You know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind uh, is one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List and everything. Yeah, I th- I think I think Spielberg in that case. Yeah, well, that was fun. Uh, it was fun. Let's let's do that again next time. Uh, well, thank you very much for listening. Um, make sure to check out our other podcasts. They won't sound quite as good because this is our first one with our nice new shiny microphones, but yeah. it's still worth checking out. Silky smooth. Uh, <laughs> silky smooth. <laughs> you can find us at realreviewing.com. Um, you can find me at Philson Wilson on Twitter. Where can you find you? Uh, Cosp Jord. And then it's Real Reviewing on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. Uh, you can find the podcast on all your usual places, but you can go to anchor.fm slash real film podcast and you can find everything, find all the places we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everything like that. Uh, thank you very much for listening.